Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largan, a podcast exploring how to find a more balanced, sustainable and mindful approach to living, to support your well-being, the well-being of others and of the planet too. My name is Marla and today I was speaking with Jill, also known as Jam Jar Jill, a nickname that she developed based on the many uses that she has for jam jars, including tea bags, paper clips, taking salad to work, sugar, fruit, jam, candles, and so much more. Jill is a mother of two three-year-old twin boys, and she's been blogging for around 10 years around a variety of topics. About five years ago, she decided that blogging was no longer just a hobby, and she wanted to turn this passion project into a genuine side hustle and personal brand. On her blog, she shares about so many things focusing on well-being, eco-friendly living, cooking, interior design, and so much more. She also loves to support local and eco-friendly businesses who openly support sustainability and the green economy to help get these businesses off the ground and for them to become more mainstream. I was so touched when Jill got in contact with me about coming on the podcast and it was so lovely having a chat with her and also meeting the twins as well. I hope that you enjoy the conversation and if you're a new mum I think definitely this one will be helpful and resonate with you. So let's get into today's interview. Hello. Hello. Hey how are you? I'm good, thank you. How about you? Yes, I'm well. Nice to meet you, even if it's only digitally. <laughs> hey, but it's nice though. I think this is just the new, the new way, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to go ahead and just put some TV on for the kids so they <laughs> don't need to start. Bear with me. No worries. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a crazy setup. I can't really show you with that. Well, actually, let me lift this camera so you can see. So this is our dining room, slash my office, and then oh, sorry about the rocky camera. This ah. is the living room. Um, so it's quite hard to get um, so privacy or oh, quiet workspace, but um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, are you British or are you Swedish or are you mixed? I am British. I'm Welsh. I grew up in Wales in the UK okay. um, and I came to Sweden actually only in September. Okay. Um, so, quite a recent thing. Yeah, so mm -hmm. basically um, I trained as a dance artist and a sports massage therapist. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, two things that obviously in COVID conditions both kind of not possible in any way no so yeah it was kind of a tricky time um during the lockdown and everything and yeah one of so my, were you self-employed or uh, i was finishing an apprenticeship with a dance company um and obviously right. all of that stopped during lockdown so mm. then yeah it kind of everything was a bit up in the air and yeah sure yeah so I'm now here living with a friend that I trained with um having bits of work here and there and then the podcast is something I do as a passion project um because yeah Ooh. I've been very passionate about environmental sustainability and trying to kind of raise awareness for it and things like that so Absolutely. that's how this podcast emerged really um I, I do I do kind of feel like um the whole eco community has really kind of come together through all this pandemic stuff and it's all very much I believe in sort of like the whole concept of um, controlling the controllables and trying to focus in on that and um, I think that has been quite a nice take on it and obviously it's a complete roller coaster this whole thing we're all like up and down and up and down yeah um, <laughs> But I'm, I've always kind of been into personal development and all that sort of stuff ever since it used to be called self-help when I was like 19 or whatever <laughs> and I was first introduced to it. So, and I love sort of yoga and holistic. I try and sort of take those principles because I generally know them and I go on and I read more and more books of a similar ilk. You quite often find there's a lot of common ground between the various books. And you're just like, okay, yeah, 
this is clearly the stuff that works then <laughs> let's let's try and get back into the routine let's try and do these things I definitely found that being in nature is something that has really grounded me in this time so 100 yeah. percent I'm so I'm so in that space and like we were really lucky actually because um well we've lived in this house 10 years now um and we basically bought it because of the garden because it was like a hundred foot garden and we were just like oh my god we can afford this it's crazy let's buy it <laughs> in our complete naivete that um oh no you don't need to worry about who's maintaining that though <laughs> problem is before you have children you don't really feel like you can justify asking for help I don't know why that is and I hope that culture changes because in reality before we had kids we were both working full-time we had more disposable income and it would made a lot of sense to actually get a cleaner get a gardener at that point keep on top of things be happier in life but um, it took to have children and then feel like, well, I can't do it all. For me to actually go, right, it's time to do those things now. The house obviously had to be sorted first, but unfortunately it meant the garden was just left and it was basically literally a jungle, literally a jungle of brambles, like a wall of wow. brambles. And um, yeah, I kind of had got to the end of my tether at the last end of last year and just said, right, that's it. <laughs> we are <laughs> and they haven't cleared it all but they made a really good start which may meant that the first sort of 10 20 foot of it is is now clear <laughs> and then we can um yeah so it's meant that we've had a usable space throughout like lockdown I feel like we've now like got to a point where we've progressed it and hopefully go get some grass down in the spring and stuff so Great. Progress is being made. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, one of the key things, I don't know if you've... Um, have you heard of um, Rachel Hollis at all? I have not, no. So she's like really big in the personal development space. She did a book which was recommended to me a couple of years ago called Girl, Wash Your Face. She's American. Um, and, um, and then she's done another one called Girl, Stop Apologising. And she does all like these health and well-being conferences and everything like that. But um, the thing which they launched during lockdown was um, 30 days challenge. So, like, I found that really, really helpful. So you had to like write a joy list and just like little things in life, which you can still do, which bring you joy. Um, and then you had to break it down into scheduling that into your day. Um, so like one thing for me was to have cup of tea in the garden without the kids <laughs> to start my day um, and you know that really helped me and I've still carried that on now gives you that headspace and the whole thing of being out in nature and just absorbing the sounds of the birds and it's just so peaceful it's such a nice thing which has come out of it come back to the whole sort of personal development thing about how you can't control situations but you can control how you respond to situations it's not going to be perfect every day some days you just need to wallow in it and feel a bit down and that's fine but other days you can try and pick yourself up and try and use these tools which you have to go right okay I'm doing that I'm doing that I mean something which I have been quite religious about in the last sort of year or so um, is keeping a gratitude journal every day and um, that really helps me and I've actually found an app I really like um, to do that on which you can include photos in and stuff gratitude me I think it's called I'll, I'll send you the link and we can always put it in the show notes yeah that'd be great it's, it's really nice because it has like quotes positive quotes affirmations what I like about it is and you know when I first started the gratitude journal process again which I used to do years and years ago and people often say this they kind of do it when they're going through a hard time like I used to do it when I was unemployed for a while and I was really in the depths of whatever and just felt really down about everything and I started doing it and I'd write down things like, oh, I've, you know, I've got a roof over my head. And you kind of break your things down. And this is the thing which is so powerful about gratitude is regardless of where you are in your life, 
I think there's always an opportunity to find something to be grateful for. And sometimes um, we just forget the basic things and to be thankful for the basic things. So the fact that you were able to eat today, the fact you were able to have clean water today, the fact that you were, you know, able to use your body and your body functioned, or even if it's not functioning entirely, then like be grateful for the bits which do function and, and all those sorts of things. And I used to put down, well, I have a car to drive. It may not be my perfect car, but, you know, it gets me from A to B and, you know, all these things. And it does just make you feel so much better. Very famous, but do you know about The Secret? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's certain things in that book, which I've read it a few times, but like there's certain things, pinch of salt. The premise, which I love about it, um, and I do definitely agree with, is the whole what you focus on gets bigger thing. Like that energy, the power of energy and what you focus your energy on. Um, so definitely. It's like that shift of perspective as well. I think sometimes that what you were saying with the journaling is like, remind yeah. those things that you can take for granted and that actually Absolutely. we're so lucky to have those things and yeah. yeah really wonderful sometimes you know you really struggle to even find five five things some days and then but I always find like as soon as I think of one I'm like oh crikey I have like all the things and I'm so lucky and it's really good to sort of set yourself a challenge especially in low mood to Oh, right no I have a comfy bed you know I have you know clothes to wear and all the things which I think you know in western society we take for granted a lot of the big stuff definitely just, um, I think there's something quite empowering in that as well um with kind of recognizing the things that you do have control over and the your perspective and where you decide to place that and what you choose absolutely. to feel grateful for is so valuable I thought whilst we're on the topic of kind of wellness and um, yeah, focusing on your mental well-being as well, taking mm -hmm. a holistic approach is something that you value a lot and I support that as well. I think it's super important. Um, so yeah, I was wondering if you wanted to share why for you taking that holistic approach to your well-being feels so important. I think, you know, it's one of those things where I've been practicing yoga since I was 15, actually. I found it when I was doing my GCSEs um, and the first yoga teacher I had was absolutely amazing because she had MS and she'd managed to reverse the effects of it through practicing yoga every day. I just remember being absolutely mind blown by the fact that she managed to completely transform her life and turn her life around just by bringing in a practice like that. And I've always loved yoga more holistic natural health my upbringing was a lot to do with pushing that sort of green agenda and my mum just doing things like rejecting one supermarket over another because one of them had cardboard boxes on the exit and the other one only had plastic bags and I mean that was when I was a young young child I mean I don't really know why they don't have cardboard box areas anymore because that's really something they should bring back. That's Agreed. something that drives me completely potty about environmentalism is like there's a whole bunch of stuff where we were like, okay, so if we actually went back to how we did things in the 50s or how we did stuff in the 80s, like maybe not the 80s, the 80s is about a decade, but um, like the 90s, <laughs> you know, like you can be like, okay, so that actually really worked. So why are we not doing that anymore? <laughs> All those sorts of things definitely affected me growing up. And then um, my experience in telling the children is I started suffering with really bad insomnia. Um, so my kids like slept through from sort of three months old, you're really lucky. Um, but um, twins was a complete surprise to me. We had no twins in the family and everything like that. And, and then the birth was quite traumatic as well. And that I felt like I kept being hit with tidal waves and everything was like, all my conceptions of what I thought parenthood was going to be was just like, bam, no, bam. <laughs> kind of like, we had like all girls in the family. Everyone had girls. And then I had two boys and they were twins. And, and then I'd planned a C-section and then my waters broke. So actually looking back on it now with the benefit of hindsight, I can kind of 
see how that played out and I would refer to it as um, PTSD, um, also on the spectrum of postnatal depression. But um, I think it's kind of more, it's not a case of um, there's one definition of that. I think it's like a big, huge roller coaster and some days are good and some days are bad, but the old cliche of, you know, it's the best job and it's the hardest job is certainly true. But I think, you know, you've just got to learn to be kind to yourself and it almost takes the experience of going through it to learn those skills. And I think what's so scary in the beginning is you're so in survival mode and then you're also kind of mourning your old life. And that's something which people don't talk about enough um, because, I mean, people should make jokes about it. I don't know if you know Michael McIntyre, but um, there's like a wonderful sketch, which I love all about like how, you know, you people who don't have children yet, you have no idea. <laughs> and then uh, and he goes into all these scenarios. And but the really funny one is just like leaving the house, how you can just leave your house and you can be like, okay, leaving the house before kids. Okay, I wanna leave the house. Okay, bye. And off you go. Like leaving your house with kids. You just got to do so much planning and you just got to do all these things. And it's just, you do feel like you've had your freedom taken away, but then at the same time, the juxtaposition is you've been given a meaning to life. Long story short, I went to the doctors when I had severe insomnia. And unfortunately, um, I was in a place of real vulnerability and kind of literally said, please help me, I can't function on no sleep. And um, so they threw drugs at me because that's what Western medicine does. Um, put me on Prozac, put me on sleeping tablets. I'd never ever touched antidepressants before. I'd always been very cautious of them, but I was in a real place of desperation. And they sort of said, well, just get through this first six weeks on these and then it'll like balance out and you'll feel so much better, etc." And it was actually the weekend of week six. I met up with a friend who's actually a vet, so, and her sister-in-law is um, in pharmaceuticals as well. So she knows, and she's suffered with um, anxiety and depression herself throughout her life. Um, and I explained to her the whole scenario and I said, oh yeah, and they've put me on Prozac. And um, she was like, oh yeah, I tried that for exam stress when I was doing my veterinary qualification um and I came right off it because it caused insomnia and I was like what <laughs> what because I'd gone to them with insomnia but not depression and they said to me oh no insomnia is always a symptom of of something else so you must be depressed and I was like well I don't feel depressed um so they'd convinced me to go on this and when Despite knowing it causes said, you what you're going to get. I know. And then I'd gone back and said, well, it's not working. So their response was just to up my dose. And they kept like upping my dose and upping the dose in the sleeping tablets as well. It was just absolute madness. But I think this is a struggle is when you're in a place of vulnerability and then their resources are pushed to the absolute limit as well. So they need a quick, quick solution. There isn't with this stuff. I was on the phone to 111 the next day and just like, get me off this. And I was off it within the next week. By this point, I'd been signed off work because I literally wasn't sleeping at all. So then the sleeping tablets started working once the Prozac was out of my system. But then I went on this whole journey with that. And you're supposed to be on those for an absolute maximum of four weeks. I was on them for eight months. Um, so, um, and basically... It's an illusion that they're making you sleep. They're not making you sleep. They're tranquilizers. So they, um, they basically knock you out, but you're not actually, your brain isn't actually going to sleep. It's just, it's almost like being knocked out at the dentist, that sort of thing. So you always woke up groggy. It was when I did the group therapy, which was actually, was to be fair to the NHS, through the NHS, was really great course actually and it was just it was kind of the point when it turned around for me because I actually 
found a sense of community within that class of other people dealing with similar things. The first thing that came out of the first class was to connect to community with your particular problems. I then joined a bunch of insomnia support Facebook groups from around the world and that was really helpful but also a bit terrifying as well because again I knew that the Zopaclone I was on was only supposed to be a short-term solution. There were people on those groups which had been on it for 20 years and I was like wow how is this? <laughs> how is this? And I think that was a real eye-opener to me. And then because I think a lot of insomnia is linked to hormones, I think an awful lot of stuff is linked to hormones. I don't think we know how much and how important hormones are anyway. But a lot of people suffer with insomnia when they go through that sort of premenopausal, menopausal stage as well. The problem with then going on sort of Zopaclone and stuff like that is a side effect of long-term usage can be Alzheimer's, which is just like, again, head F. <laughs> and I was just like, the more I learned, the more I was like, I don't want to be on this anymore. This is not good news, you know. But I'd the flip side of the scenario is I'd got to this point where I was scared if I don't take it tonight then I won't sleep and it was struggle to know how much of that was psychological and how much of that was actual got me into just looking at other alternative solutions and it's funny how things sort of come about in life because I'm all sort of connected up with blogging opportunities which come through on emails and you can connect up with different like networks which send you through things which are which you can then apply to product tests and that sort of thing. Basically got through these ones and there was one which was a self-development book written by a um, sort of holistic, she's a, she's not an, is she an acupuncturist? I think acupuncturist. And then another, oh, to test CBD oil. And something I'd heard about, something I didn't know that much about um, and it was a fully organic brand based out of Bristol and I was like well that sounds good and it sounds safe and like let's look into it and so I went for it. That sort of all coincided with let's try that and I was then put on furlough Well, this is my opportunity. Um, if it doesn't work and I don't sleep then at least I'm at home and so I just kind of went for it. I guess that whole experience has got me back onto the whole holistic path again and then it just all links in with what I want to do and what I want to put out into the world in terms of health, well-being, environmentalism, let's look more at nature for solutions, let's look less at money and drugs for solutions, you know, and that whole thing really. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. It feels like there's this this want for a quick fix that drugs yeah. quite often can bring. And obviously there are a lot of conditions that do need drugs for them, but I think we've become so reliant on them that rather yeah. than investing in something that financially isn't drugs, <laughs> connecting with other things as well, I think, can have such an impact on your well-being um, and everything is very interconnected and... Yeah, I think. I think this is the thing is that there is, you're absolutely right, and I'm completely agree with you, that there are obviously conditions um, where you need to look at drugs and drugs need to be part of the scenario. It's about looking at even in that extreme scenario where you're having to go down that route, then have something running alongside it. And you can look at the holistic side running alongside it whether that be for your mental well-being whilst you're going through that and i just think that's absolutely the way things should be it should be partnership and it should be holistic health and for whatever reason there just still seems to be and it's fading slightly but this eastern western medicine split and i'm just like well why is that and why don't we look at it holistically and why don't we like question why we're doing these things and yeah it's sure. convenient it's money it's the fact that you know pharmaceuticals and money run the industry unfortunately 
And I just think it's, it's horrific as well, the kind of idea of being given a drug to improve one aspect that you're struggling with, but then you're also on another drug, which is counteracting the impact yeah. of the other, like what you were saying with the insomnia, you were given a tablet Absolutely. that was completely causing what you were trying to yeah. get rid of. It just makes no sense. And I think this is the other thing I learned with sort of drugs. And the first time I learned it actually was when I had, I went through a phase of having bad acne and then I had very strong acne medication, which you are only allowed to take short term. And it did sort out my skin, but it caused me other problems. And I think the thing was, that was when it hit me that, oh, okay. So everything that you take, which is like an extreme fix for something is going to by default break something else and so actually in the ideal world it's far better to take a more gentle approach which might not fully fix whatever problem a was but it doesn't it, cause b c d yeah. <laughs> and that's what i mean like by the holistic it is just like, look at your whole body. Look at how it's all interconnected. I think for me, it took to have children to really understand that. And it really, I mean, I think I was always brought up to believe like your body is a temple and look after it and everything like that. But I think when you go through growing and birthing twins, <laughs> you really do have a different level of appreciation for your body and just how incredible yeah for sure like you grew two human beings you grew two human beings inside yourself like it's incredible yeah yeah mm. it's crazy yeah so i think it's it's just an opportunity to like re-look at how you look at things yeah, yeah. definitely so yeah. for anyone who was wanting to take a more holistic approach to their well-being or yeah wanted to focus more on how to look after themselves do you have any little tips i know you mentioned like journaling and being in nature but i was just wondering if you had a few few tips for people on um ways that they can kind of take care of themselves more holistically i think um you know something which has been really powerful for me is just how doing little things every day makes a big difference and it doesn't have to take up that much time in your day. Um, so like the traditional way of keeping fit and healthy, certainly in my sort of teens and twenties was, oh, go to the gym three times a week for like a two hour session. But actually I think there's a far, for me, a way which fits around my life so much better now in that some days I manage five minutes of yoga, some days I manage 15, sometimes I manage 30. But I get so much more and my body seems to respond to doing it every day far better than doing it intensely once a week. And I think the whole thing of, you know, oh, I don't have time. Literally, if you do five minutes, you know, I've even discovered things like um, there's a whole um, range of um, videos on YouTube called bed yoga. So literally, if you, <laughs> the last five minutes before you fall asleep, you do a few stretches. And it's amazing how even doing that versus not doing that is just so empowering, both mentally and physically. Yeah, and also that versus scrolling through facebook or social media for five minutes you know like i think that's something yeah. that is a void that can suck so much time for some people um yeah absolutely yeah. that's something which i do try you know obviously it's quite challenging as an influencer who's trying to build her brand for me and it is addictive um i haven't watched that um social dilemma problem yeah you need to yeah I've, I've heard it's really good and it's on my watch list but i haven't got to it yet the whole thing that all these things are a dopamine hit is quite scary but it's also on the other hand it's kind of just being mindful of it and like working out what can you do in your own life to change things I got into podcasts and I started listening to Oprah Winfrey's, um, I always loved Oprah, 
but um, she does this um, podcast called um, Super Soul Sunday, where she interviews people. But she actually interviewed Ariana Huffington. Do you know the Huffington Post? Ah, yes. Wow. Yeah. So um, the Huffington Post, I'd been following for quite a few years in that it's positive, empowering media and everything but so it was a really when I saw that come up as someone she interviewed I was like oh that's interesting anyway she had um burnout herself Ariana Huffington because she was a media mogul and she was just go 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 24 7 and it took for her to have that burnout um which was quite extreme from memory what she was saying about she just wasn't having any sleep and then I can't quite remember if she collapsed at work or like there was a catalyst which kind of made her go oh crikey need to sort stuff out here um and she changed her whole business model based on that and another thing that she did is she started leaving her phone outside her bedroom sometimes I feel like you get messages drip fed to you throughout the years and then you're like oh I ignore that no no I don't want to don't want to do that thing or whatever and then it gets to a point where you go, ah, okay, right, really probably should try that now because I've had friends saying it to me, oh, yeah, it's all like toxic and everything else. And one of the things which I had been trying was using the Headspace app. I hadn't gotten with it that well because for me, meditation in complete silence when my mind was so busy, I know that's kind of the point of it, but I really struggled with that, whereas bringing yoga into my day so I had movement with it, it was worked better for me personally but I did try and do one of the sort of month you know how they do like a listen every day and I got a few in and I'd listen to it as I was going to sleep at night it started being a positive thing and then a few days in it suddenly says right so we really highly recommend that you leave your phone outside of your room um because it's really detrimental to your health etc etc and i was just like well hang on well, what do i listen to this on then <laughs> i don't understand and i'm still a bit confused because there are the whole like both of the karma app and with the headspace app there's sleep stories bedtime stories meditative kind of go to bed stories but then both of them if you were to interview them ask you to leave your phone outside your room so I don't really quite understand <laughs> and that was kind of one of the things but then I listened to this Amiana Huffington um, thing and then she went on to write a book on sleep and how important sleep was actually um, and I just kind of took the mindset that okay if she can do it in her position when she's running a multinational media company, then I can do it. <laughs> and it just kind of gave me that perspective on it. And I've never gone back since. My phone charges on the landing. And the other thing which I try and do, and sometimes I'm better at it and other times I'm not, is I try and from when I go up to get ready for bed and have my shower and like have that wind down period, that always works better for a night's sleep. Um, sometimes it's not always possible because you'll go, go, go right until the last minute. But what I try and do is like set myself goals, which because you've got to kind of find balance between not making yourself feel guilty and not putting so much like rules and regulations around it that it almost feels like, oh, I'm being naughty because then that can trigger anxiety. So you've got to be careful with that as well, I find. So what my sort of in-between route was like, okay, so from that point in the evening when I go upstairs, I'm not allowed to look at Instagram anymore. I'm not allowed to look at social media anymore, but I am allowed to use my phone for my gratitude journal, for audiobooks and for podcasts. And that works well when I do that. Um, and then when I go to bed, it plugs in on the landing and I go to bed. So. Nice. That's an awesome system. I think that would be super valuable for people for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And going back to what you were saying with um, meditation and mindfulness, I completely relate to the kind of the approach for me with yoga works so much better because that physical movement gives my 
my thoughts somewhere to direct themselves whereas I, I sit there just with my thoughts it's just too much going on whilst I've got such young children whilst I've got so much going on even though I can see it would be valuable and I can approach it obviously not at the moment with the pandemic but I've really enjoyed like going for retreat days or retreat evenings or baths and that sort of thing um so doing it like little mini ones but it actually being part of my daily practice I think I'd struggle at this point whereas I kind of put that on the back burner and think well I'll hopefully come back to that once <laughs> life calms down a little bit but for now yoga is a good solution for me oh great um I'd love to move on now to talking a bit more about how you came into prioritizing eco-friendly living and living more sustainably I know you said it was something that was always kind of embedded as you were growing up from your your parents and I'd love yeah. I'd love to hear more about yeah how you came into to prioritizing it where you started those kind of things sure it has always been part of my psyche it's always been something which I've tried to think about what a big catalyst for me really, really trying to go for it fully as much as I can and getting into promoting it and really making myself an eco-influencer was the War on Plastic programme, which was on the BBC. I think there were certain things about it which just completely blew my mind in quite a depressing way in some respects. Because I think before that programme came out, a lot of us were in the position where we're like, okay, you know, I'm one of the good ones. I'm putting my plastic in the plastic recycling, so that's okay. Obviously, I'm trying to cut down where I can, but it's um, very hard to do. I still stand by the point that it's very hard to do. The fact of the matter is, what is happening to that plastic was highlighted in this programme. And I'd kind of heard through... I have an auntie and uncle who have always been particularly into environmentalism and I remember them saying to me years ago, you know, try and buy glass where you can because plastic generally gets shipped abroad. But I hadn't really thought about it more than that, but this programme highlighted that it literally is getting shipped to Indonesia. We don't have the processing for it here and the problem is once it gets to Indonesia, it doesn't get monitored and it ends up in a rainforest just being dumped it's horrendous and it's literally like the whole approach to it is oh it's not in our backyard anymore so that's fine it's over there um but it's like getting burnt and like greenpeace are there like saying look these local children are getting nosebleeds because no one's monitoring what's happening to this and i was just like what what the hell um and then the other side of it was the whole amount of microplastic particles in our atmosphere and they did tests around that and they got one of the universities involved and that was horrendous as well the other sort of real key thing was that they interviewed someone who worked for the company the waste company who receives all the waste from all the councils and they were saying how well end of the day nothing is going to change here whilst all of the financial onus is on the councils you need corporates to take some financial responsibility for the end of life of the products for them actually to care <laughs> and it's sad but money does talk and um and i think you know really that's what we have to do but then again, it's about going back to the beginning of the conversation, controlling the controllables and just trying to make and promote in your own life the things which you can do. Came across a really interesting podcast the other day called Sustainable-ish. She's really great, but she's talking about doing an eco Christmas. But she talks, what I love about her whole mentality to thing is... Um, kind of she talks about always going for the low-hanging fruit what can you do what are the little changes which you can make which will make a big difference and the fact of the matter is we're not looking for everyone to do zero waste perfectly it's about everyone doing it a little bit but on mass and that is genuinely going to make a difference and that's why I love about being part of the eco community and I think 
it's about building my brand in a way where I feel so good about what I'm trying to promote. And I feel, I want to feel proud of my brand all the way through from the ground up and what I'm putting out into the universe and how I'm hopefully helping people and educating people as to, well, what can you do differently with your kids? What can you do differently in your life? But there's also, there's always like um, so many different choices nowadays. I read this really interesting book by um, Jen Hatmaker and she is a preacher's wife in America um, and it's called Seven. And she basically goes to seven months of less. So each month she picks a category, so she picks food and then she only picks seven items that she's allowed to eat that month and she does it with consumerism as well but it's all about it's basically taking that christian concept of fasting um but what's interesting about it is like okay so you fast on one particular part of your life for a month and then you suddenly realize just how much choice you actually have and it's going to be really eye-opening she says when she breaks it down in the consumerism month so she talks about the multi-personality disorder of um positive consumerism and unfortunately what it is because the world is all about making money that um it's actually getting into that acceptance piece that okay if i want to go organic that doesn't necessarily i'm going to be plastic free but at least i'm going organic so that's a positive step in the right direction same goes for fair trade so it goes for plastic free and i mean for example with our scenario milk is obviously a big part of young children's life and for me it was very important to buy organic milk because i didn't want it to have the hormones and the additives in and also cows generally are like free roaming i think they are generally in the uk anyway i mean my sister's very pro-organic milk in america because cows are literally kept in sheds if it's not organic which is awful it's just the whole additive side but then the flip side is and this is where the market needs to shift is i can buy a pint of organic milk for like 50p but if i get in the glass bottle from the milkman it's one pound 20 for a pint and i'm like well why is that down to the consumer to sort that out why are glass bottles and reusable bottles not more readily available because i'd love to do that but you know i have to make my choice because we're on a budget and i think that's what needs to shift is legislation needs to filter down from the top and and actually make these changes now in, yeah. in terms of it kind of filtering down from the top i completely agree like we do we do have responsibilities as consumers but there's so much that isn't in our control that mm -hmm companies need to be held accountable for because for example like you were saying if a company was held accountable for the plastic that they were using the impacts that's having on the environment and that financially that burden was with them then us as consumers the finance shouldn't come into it when we're trying to make a better choice between plastic glass, organic or not like those things we shouldn't be paying the price for and so that's kind of the goal of my brand as such that's my mission statement is i want to actively help make green the mainstream <laughs> in whatever way i can and at the moment you know obviously i'm generally product testing for a lot of startup companies who are just trying to get their feet off the ground but that's helping and it's own right because if I can help them get off the ground and get more popular, then hopefully more people will use them and I'm promoting them. So it's all like helping. But at the moment, we're in a space where this is still new, which is complete madness. <laughs> Why is this still new? I think the thing which really hit me about this whole program was, you know, I really wish we could go back to whoever invented plastic and just stop that from happening because you know, the world was actually functioning completely fine without plastic in the first place. And it seems to me that actually it's caused so many more problems and it has solutions. Um, but then you look around and you look at, you know, just in an average room, how there are things. I mean, I was just 
looking as I was talking to you, well, my computer's made of plastic, of course it is, you know, and my keyboard's made of plastic and stuff like that. So, like, could that be made out of something else? Probably not. Um, so there are things which need to be made out of plastic, but there's so many things which don't need to be made out of plastic. And I think actually making these small changes, which you can, every change which you make is a win. And there are things which you can do which can give you a long-term change. For example, I've just done a post last week on switching to reusable um, period products. And, um, you know, that's something, well, yeah, it was an investment, but the way I handled that was to buy a little bit of it each month. And so each month I was a little bit greener. So I wasn't completely all all green straight away because it costs quite a lot of money to build up that product but once you have it then you have it and you don't need to buy any more sanitary products and it's just like why <laughs> why are we not doing that why are we not educated to do that why did it take me to 37 to make that switch you know it's just it's kind of crazy but actually in researching that blog post it was quite interesting because I kind of went down a rabbit hole on period poverty um, and how there was this amazing company called the Little Red Box Company who had really, really pushed to solve period poverty in the UK and had successfully brought in um, legislation that the governments will fund period products for the whole of the school system. And that literally came in at the beginning of the year. So any school age children are going to have free period products. And I was like, wow, that's amazing, you know, because surely it shouldn't be the case that people are having to miss school because they're on their period. That is just, what are we, Victorian? Like what's going on? Then I found another piece of legislation, which was then brought to, to the fore by um, the Green Party. And I think because of all, you know the pandemic and everything else going on it hasn't necessarily gone through all the stages of government yet and excuse my naivety on politics but you know we haven't obviously been taught about that in school which is like a whole other problem it's sort of saying that well guys don't lose this opportunity you're providing free period products you know start educating people at the beginning of their period that they should be buying green products provide some green products as part of that and so hopefully, because that, I mean, it was, I forget what it's called now, but it's kind of the first stage of it going to be discussed in the House of Commons and it's signed by all the politicians. So, I mean, it's positive that it definitely seems to be in process and people are starting to think about these things. I mean, there is a bit of a feeling of, is it too little, too late? I hope not. I like to be an optimist. We definitely need optimism at the moment, for sure. Like, I think it's getting that balance as well between we need to become aware of the situation and what's happening and what needs to change, but we need to have hope that these changes can happen, um, which I think is really important. Um, and, and I think that sometimes, like, from the ground up, it's working because, like, the changes in packaging and stuff like that are starting to make a difference. I mean... The whole thing with, um, have you heard about the whole wonky vegetable campaign? Yes. <laughs> that was started by um, the Jimmy and Jamie food fight on a Friday night. Um, he went to like one of the big supermarkets and they did a feature on it. And I actually saw that episode. It was amazing. But they went to all the big supermarkets and they were like, well, why aren't you selling this stuff? Why are you making us chuckle this stuff? And they were like, well, the consumers wouldn't want to buy it. They want a perfect carrot. And I'm just like, do they? What are you basing that on? <laughs> like, did I tell you that? Did I say that? <laughs> no, exactly. And that's what drives you mad. It's like you need someone to actually question the status quo here. Because um, at that point in time, which was actually before I had children and when I had a bit more of a budget, I used to get able and coal boxes. And it just used to make me laugh because, like, there was a whole thing with Abel and Cole boxes. Oh, look, it's a wonky, funky carrot, you know, and people were posting on 
social media, and that's like the top end of the market. Meanwhile, you've got the mainstream supermarkets going, oh, the consumers don't want that. No, no, no. They just want them perfectly, completely cylinder. Why? Why do you think that? <laughs> People don't need as much choice as you think they need either. They don't need three aisles of toothpaste. You know, this is the thing we need to get away from as well. We need to get rid of this ridiculous crazy amount of choice which just completely confuses consumer yeah. you know it's uh there's a lot that could be done in that space too definitely and just promoting actually selling what is a more sustainable ethical option rather than bombarding us with so many choices and putting it on the responsibility of the consumer to try and figure out what's the best thing to do like it's just yeah yeah it's complete madness. And I just think, you know, the ethical brands really need a kickstart from the government. They really need a boost and they need to get subsidised because things like that have happened in the past when it's of the right agenda for the wrong things. <laughs> you know, things get taxed which shouldn't be taxed and things get, you know, they have the power to do these things. They did it with cigarettes. They did it with period products, you know. So it's just like they need to actually make the shift. Yeah, and, like, I think that's ridiculous to put a tax on things like period products, which is, like, a bodily function that is natural. I know. So to tax Yeah, that was the case for years. Yeah, but then not tax something that is being so detrimental to the environment that we're, be, we're being shown is is so detrimental so why is it still made so easy for companies to produce these things yeah yeah i think this is like the really important stuff which actually needs to make a change and but what i find really positive and i guess i've really got into the whole eco community on instagram and things over lockdown and over this pandemic season is that you know people are starting to think outside of the box and the whole green agenda is no longer got that whole oh you must be a hippie you must be a tree hugger or whatever and connected to it and it's becoming more mainstream and this was the point um that um that sustainable-ish podcast was making um is that you know it's it really is like everyone working from the ground up but then there's interesting things as well like she talks about the power of stay-at-home mums and mums who are generally doing the food shopping because you know we haven't generally moved forward from that statistically and then you get into this whole space as well where people i saw like a eco blogger who was a man posting the other day and he literally said but where are all the men <laughs> and and it does make you think well why why is this it's still seen big society wise as a bit of a wishy-washy concept how do you think we get over that yeah i mean that's the big question i think there's still such a long way to go in making um sort of a sustainable and environmental space more accessible because it's not and there's still a lot of voices we're not hearing from there's so many kind of marginalized communities um i think also ability you know in terms of disabled people having a voice in this indigenous people having a voice in this people of color mm -hmm. like all of all of these different aspects of society younger people older people people with yeah. from a lower lower socioeconomic background i think it's so crucial that all of these people have a voice and because at the end of the day a lot of the actions that we are taking are impacting on marginalized communities people from a lower socioeconomic background, people... I mean, you have to look at things like, why is it still the case that it is still cheaper to buy less healthy food? Exactly. You know, this is where the legislation piece needs to come in. And actually, I mean, this was something which was highlighted on that war on plastic program, that even if it's the case that you make the decision, hey, I'm going to buy loose fruit and veg, it costs you something like 30-40% more than it does to buy stuff in packages and you're just like why? what? what is that? I don't know 
is I just want it to be normal for them mm. I think you know you do have the opportunity and sometimes it's first-time parent naivety but you kind of think oh you know your kids are a white sheet of paper and they're not they're not born a white sheet of paper and they're born as their own personalities and things but I think you do have power in the kind of way that you choose to give them an upbringing and you choose Things like I always get them to help me undo the food shopping and to I like take it all out of the packages and stuff and and they'll be like, Oh, which bin does this go in? And I'll be like, Well, look, look at the logos, like look for the line and and every time we have to put something in the main waste, I'll go, Well, unfortunately that one needs to go in the main waste. You know, but it's it's symbolism as well. Like we have our landfill waste bin is like a small little dinky bin and our recycling bin is a giant full-size kitchen bin and it's stuff like that as well I want them to understand that what we should be aiming for um, yeah I think those are the things which you can try and control mm. and going off that I really wanted to chat to you a bit about um how or any advice you would give to parents with young children kind of balancing trying to live more eco-friendly whilst balancing that with parenthood um you know from my experience i can't <laughs> i can't give any advice on that you know i think it's so important that yeah i mean i think it was something which shocked me in the first sort of year year and a half of their existence I probably actually became less eco than I'd been for five years previous to that because it was about convenience and it was about trying to find, um, just get through it, just survive it really. Um, and certain choices which you had to make. I mean, I did um, do things like, um, are you getting up? Um, where, you know, when it came to my baby shower gifts, um i think this is something which is good advice is that to actually ask for eco baby products for your baby shower um because again it's a case that it's not really affordable generally <laughs> you got what have you got <laughs> are those binoculars no you're getting down okay um like it wasn't really affordable to me like nappies for example I had to make that choice um, I asked for um, biodegradable nappies for my baby shower um, but once that supply ran out then we had to go with like Aldi because we had twins and we were going through a hell of a lot and we had to just make that choice but then you see I made a choice further down the line that once the boys have been since the boys have been in just pull ups overnight I've switched to natty and um, I actually think the nappy market is missing a trick with this because there is a whole section of people who can't afford biodegradable nappies as their day nappy but when the child is potty trained like during the day and they just need to wear them at night then you obviously need to buy far less of them and I've actually approached those companies and said that and said you know I'd love to product test for you and I'd love to promote this point you know because I actually think this is the kind of thing which really frustrates me and they they're not seemingly interested in that which I think is a real shame I mean I still carry on with it because it's shocking that's like the whole nappy scenario is absolutely shocking because a biodegradable nappy rots down in about five years versus a standard nappy takes 500 years 
Yeah, and no one's dealing with that. That's not something which is really sorted. Again, it's it's something which really, you know, it shouldn't be down to the consumer because the kind of price difference you're talking about is the difference between 4p a nappy for an Aldi nappy to 14p a nappy. Now, when you're talking about how many you're getting through, it is not a difference. Yeah, it's not affordable. I guess my point is um, to maybe not make yourself feel so hard um, because there is a season where it's just the case of going through in the first year. And whilst it would be great to be eco in that time, I think you shouldn't necessarily be riddled with guilt if you don't manage to do that. But it's about when you have the ability to make the choices again, to try and make those little choices. And I think that's what you can try and do because again, when I switched to going for the eco nappies then I went for eco nappy bags as well. And I went for eco wipes, biodegradable wipes as well. I did manage to successfully keep to cheeky wipes, um, washable wipes for the first year. Um, but um, to be honest, it ended up being a bit of a nightmare because then it was just another thing to wash. <laughs> And the amount of washing which you do is just, don't even get me started. <laughs> it's just, it's just horrendous. It's just horrendous. I think the point is you don't need to be a martyr. You just need to make the choices when you can make the choices. I'm a big fan of like muslin squares, for example, and the boys will use them for everything. Um, which are really worthwhile as well. Or using flannels, I always use flannels to wipe their faces after a meal and stuff like that. It's old school, simple stuff like that. Um, when I was looking at baby food when they were first weaning, um, I actually, even though the, the organic brand is Ella, um, all that packaging isn't recyclable, or at least it's made of plastic so it's not easily recyclable. Um, and I actually stumbled across um, a jarred food called Hip Organic, um, which I think is a German brand, but they come in jars. And so they actually worked out cheaper and they came in jars. So it's about doing a little bit of research around stuff as well. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Like there are things out there that just coincidentally are the more eco-friendly and cheaper alternative, which is wonderful yeah. it's just the hope that that can you know when I, when, when I talk about that so multiple personality disorder of um of um you know eco-consumerism counter is a win for everything that you do manage to do definitely yeah so important yeah. otherwise we'll just burn ourselves out because 100 percent. yeah we, we need to remind ourselves of the positive steps we're taking for sure I'll just ask you the final question that I always ask on the podcast um, and because my podcast is called a little bit of Largum and Largum's about finding balance um, kind of not too little not too much sweet spot in between so I was just wondering for you what helps you find a little bit of Largum in your life? I think um, going back to sort of what I've touched on before it's, it's just trying to set realistic expectations with your day or with your decision making it's not trying to do everything it's not trying to fix everything it's about um that's why my big thing which i really want to promote is conscious consumerism rather than mindless consumerism um don't just buy because you need or you feel you need to buy take a step back first and think to yourself well why where's it made what's it made from can i make a choice here um can i buy a secondhand version you know i mean secondhand is one of the brilliant bridge things which i just think we basically all we need to do is remove the stigma around it that's all we need to do um because what i love about secondhand is that it's both budget friendly and it's environmentally friendly and often you're giving back to charity as well so it really is win-win-win um, 
So it's about making those sorts of choices as well and not just being overwhelmed by, okay, I can't afford any of it. It's like, well, how can I do this? Or maybe I could grow something. Maybe I've got the opportunity to use someone else's garden to grow something. Maybe I could get an allotment. Maybe I could just have a grow box on my windowsill and grow some fresh herbs. Yeah, I'm not managing to grow all the vegetables, but you know, I'm growing some herbs and actually my food tastes delicious as a result. So um, it's stuff like that. Um, it's taking the small wins. Yes, celebrating the little wins sounds like a super important mm. thing. Um, yeah. And I just want to yeah. say as well, I'm so touched that you got in contact and that you, yeah, that you wanted to podcast. It's, it was really, really lovely. But I'm really excited to do this with you. I really am because I just think, I love being part of this eco community and I love being able to share with people who are like-minded, you know, I just, it really gives me hope for the future that there are so many people out there who really are trying in their own ways to make their life a bit more green and a bit more sustainable. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's been so wonderful chatting with you. Um, do you have yeah, any sure. last thoughts that you want to share? I mean, um, just, just that um, I'm, I'm always open to working with other green companies and, um, you know, please do get in touch if you want to work with me. <laughs> awesome. Cool. But yeah, thank you so much. Um, I really thank appreciate you. you chatting. It's been, yeah, really nice. <laughs> Super. Thank you. Have okay. a wonderful rest of your day. Um, yep. Apologies, it's gotten dark here. It started off light and then it's just nice <laughs> drawing in. <laughs> I know, that's just the way it is. I think we might just go out in the garden for a bit of a run around, Aww. blow off a bit of steam before it actually gets dark. Yeah. Okay, take care. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to Jill for chatting with me. It was lovely to get to know you a bit better and hear about your journey to living more sustainably and sharing this message with the world. If you'd like to find out more about Jill's work, I'll attach links to her website in the show notes so that you can take a look at what she's getting up to. She also has a YouTube channel as well as the blog and you can find all that information on her website. If you have any thoughts or questions on any of the podcast episodes, please feel free to drop me a message either on Instagram or via email. You can find me on Instagram at a little bit of Largum and my email account is a little bit of Largum at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, I'd be so incredibly grateful and you can do this on the coffee account, which I'll have a link to in the show notes for this episode. Your support really means so much and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.